The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, rested after a nice, long, mostly unscheduled weekend, and I hope the same for you. This week's episode is near and dear to my heart. Mary Anna Mancuso is an esteemed member of our Eco-Right Leadership Council and one of our very first spokespeople back when we called our thought leaders such. She also has the distinction of having been our very first podcast guest. That's right. Season one, episode one, June of 2020, maybe July 2020. If you're daring or just curious, you can go back and listen to us as baby podcasters, but I'm not sure I recommend that. I prefer you just dive into today's episode in which Mariana, a longtime political strategist, talks about her recent success having a series of climate-focused op-eds published. She talks about her inspiration, her tactics, and why writing is an important tool in the messaging toolbox. Stay tuned, folks. My very fun conversation with Mariana Mancuso is coming up next. Welcome back, listeners. I am beyond happy to be in conversation with my friend, Mariana Mancuso. Mariana, do you remember you were the very first podcast guest for the EcoWrite Speaks? I do, Chelsea. And let me tell you, it was an honor then and it is an honor now to be back again. What is this, your sixth season? It is our sixth season. We've had more than 100 wow. episodes. I haven't done the math to see which one this is, but I'm guessing like 100 and maybe 20 high teens or low 20s. So here you are back again. And, um, you know, we have talked about this. One of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is that you have had ginormous success in having your op-eds published this year in 2023. And I was going to count before we got on the Zoom. Of course, I forgot, but you've had at least six or seven just in the last couple of months. Yes, no, I, I think so. I guess I'm the Alexander Hamilton of Republican. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so the thing that I love is that each one of these pieces is different and tackles a different angle of climate change. And that is really underscored by the fact that these these essays that you have been writing have appeared in two different periodicals. And so they would not be accepting your writing if you were just regurgitating the same message each time. So they are each a unique, different perspective on the climate crisis. And I'm just curious, like, what inspires you to come up with these ideas? I mean, first, you're so you're so kind, and I really appreciate that. And, and let's just be honest, and let me give credit where credit is due. My essays would not get to publication without your fine craft of editing and making sure that the commas in there are in the right place and that everything reads well. So I am greatly appreciative to you taking time out to make sure that everything is in working order before I, I send it off. So um, thank you for that. My now, when I when I do sit down to write and I think about things, if you've, if you've noticed, maybe you haven't, but there's kind of a cadence to the, the pieces that I'm doing. I'm bouncing between doing national focus things and then a lot of Florida centric pieces. Oftentimes my Florida pieces, I've been so excited because they go out on the invading sea 
And it is this publication through Florida Atlantic University that is syndicated across all of the Florida papers. And I've just been so blessed to have my Florida pieces picked up in different newspapers across the state. Most recently, the piece I did regarding the sargasm belt that's coming through Florida was otherwise known as the seaweed blog for the or blob for the (laughs) blob blob not blob 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 blob. (laughs) yes the the great seaweed blob that we're seeing all over the news that's headed to Florida Uh, it was actually picked up in my hometown newspaper the sun sentinel and I can remember going with my grandparents to get the little newspaper out of the out of the newspaper thing that you would find on the side of the road. And it was really neat to see that. So I've been so grateful to see that happening and for more papers to pick up my stuff and bring awareness to climate crisis, whether it's talking about the seaweed blob or we're talking about the possible food instability or most recently the refugee crisis that we're facing because people are having to relocate due to the climate just being unbearable for them. Yeah, you know, I think that that is a, um oft-forgotten um element of the crisis is that, you know, we already have uh, very partisan, heated um, debates in this country about immigration. And undoubtedly, there is an immigration crisis. And immigration crises are often driven by lack of natural resources. So people looking for food, they're looking for water, they're looking for employment. And so if we are seeing exacerbated conditions in some of the areas that are already a little bit unstable, those people are going to go to the places uh, where there is plenty. And that still happens to be the U.S. So I thought that was a really thoughtful piece. And and to just double back to something you were saying about the invading sea, fantastic project started, I think, like four or five years ago. And listeners, if you don't understand, so print journalism is, you know, a little bit of a a dying field. And so anytime you can get your pieces published in an actual newspaper, it's a little extra special. And so with the Invading Sea, all of those member newspapers that are part of this project can just say, oh, we like this piece by Mariana. We're going to print it in our paper. And so it just expands her reach or anyone's reach who writes for that. And Bob has had a few pieces published there as well. So congrats. Congrats on having it in your hometown paper. Um, just phenomenal. So Florida, what what drives you to write about Florida, my friend? I mean, Florida in and of itself. I mean, wow. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I'm a political strategist by nature. And, you know, it's nice to write about climate change, which is very politically charged. But to be able to talk about something that can bring both sides of the aisle together to pay attention. And I try really hard to find these issues that are Florida centric that people in Florida should care about, but as well as the rest of the country. And, you know, with the great seaweed blob, everybody's hearing about it. I mean, I have friends in California, I have friends in Virginia that are just like, Oh my gosh, what is this thing coming? Like, should I not come to Florida? What's the problem? And, you know, so that was really a driving force to see that making national headlines and really to talk about Florida and how we need to be paying attention and figure out how we're going to dispose or what we're going to do with this. Because, you know, as I said in the piece, once the seaweed hits Florida shores within 24 hours, it begins to rot and decay. And it's actually, it's like expressing uh, high levels of heavy metals and arsenic. And so they have to figure out how they're going to handle that on Florida beaches. And that's obviously going to impact tourism. And so when I talk about it through a conservative lens, I'm trying to explain to my conservative friends who love free markets and are like, you know, capitalism reigns supreme, you know, I'm telling them, hey, look, like this is impacting tourism and we need to do something because at the end of the day, that impacts the bottom line, the bottom dollar in Florida. 
That's right. And, and, you know, another element of the climate crisis. So it's environmental, but it's economic. It's a matter of, um, of, I mean, immigration is so many issues also, right? It's an economic issue. It's a public health issue. It's a humanity issue, human rights issue. Um, and so all of these crises are so complicated and then interlinked and, you know, you solve one and you kind of get on the path of solving the others, which I think is why it's all the more urgent that we are able to come together, um, both sides of the aisle and everyone in the middle and figure out what we're going to do about the climate crisis. Absolutely. And when Title 42 actually expired, I really was looking at this and I'm like, you know, people on both sides of the aisle are trying to tackle immigration, but they're tackling it from building the wall, not building the wall, people coming across the border, people not coming across the border. But really, that is just a symptom of a larger issue and what is driving those people. And that's where I really started to drill down and say, look, like we're having a good portion of people coming because they're actually being displaced due to the climate changing where they are, whether they were farmers or whether they were, you know, doing different things at home and it became to be too hot for them and their, you know, their livelihoods were taken, they have to relocate to be able to survive and provide for their family. And at the end of the day, that becomes a humanitarian crisis. And I don't care if you're Republican, you're Democrat, you're independent. At the end of the day, this is a humanitarian problem and we're all human beings and we need to look at it through that lens. Hallelujah. Absolutely. <laughs> so your last piece was um, was the immigration piece in Real Clear Energy. So we talked about the invading sea and Real Clear Energy is uh, more of an inside the beltway um, blog, not blog, news site, let's say, uh, website. And that is seen by a lot of sort of, as we call them, inside the beltway folks. So that would be your lawmakers. That would be your policy, you know, your staff level policymakers. And so equally important, just a, a different audience. And the reason why I think that's important, too, is because the people that are making policy need to know that people out there like you are making these arguments. And then if somebody else were to read your piece, let's say somebody read um, about the, the seaweed blob and they decided to write a letter to the editor to say, hey, yeah, I'm a, a small business owner and my business is, you know, I sell tackle or whatever. And um, I'm seeing a drop off in, in tourism this year. And it's affecting my bottom line because people have heard about this and they're worried about it and they're not coming. You know, I think that that connects dots for people. And so what you're doing, you're stating a message, you're writing a message, people are reading that message, and then other people are going to also have their reactions to it. And so you're a butterfly, basically, is what I'm trying to say. You're a little flutter of a butterfly with great big waves that go across um, the climate community. And as you've noted, climate touches everybody. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, when I sit down and I write a piece, my goal is really, if I can actually inspire one person to look at this through a different lens or look at it from a different vantage point, then I've done my job, right? I mean, it, this is not black or white. There's a lot of room for discussion. There's a lot of room for us to find solutions, but we can't find solutions if we just live in our own echo chambers and we don't take in information from all different sides to form formulate a really good policy, which is actually funny because it leads to the next piece, which I'm working on. And I read this article, you're, we were talking briefly about where am I getting inspiration, uh, just randomly reading things. I read a lot, um, but I was reading the International New York Times edition a few days ago, and there was a piece in there about the president of India who is having to move the capital, like physically move the capital 
of the country to another location because it is now under sea level. And it's a $30 billion earmark. And he got it passed through Congress during COVID. And I'm looking at this, reading this, saying, oh, my gosh, this is something that we might have to do in our own country if we don't find solutions. I'm thinking state capitals. I don't think the nation's capital will be underwater. Well, it is a swamp, as many people do note on a daily basis. (laughs) But I think that there are state capitals that, I mean, I think about, you know, just different parts of the country. And so I'll be talking about the top five capitals that might have to move if we don't solve climate crisis immediately. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. I mean, that to me just blows my mind. And I wouldn't be so you know, quick to say that it wouldn't happen here because, as you noted, Washington, D.C. was built on top of a swamp. So there's a lot of landfill and not a lot of um elevation above sea level. So yeah, if things got really dire, it might not be in your lifetime or my lifetime, but in someone's lifetime and not just the capitals, but I think of some of our major centers of economic um, culture. So like New York city, right? New York city, there was a, uh, an exhibition a few years ago and I forget where it was. I happened upon it one day by accident and walked in and it had basically this like outline of all the different impacts of climate change if it was left unfettered. And one of them is that the city will be underwater. Think about all of there's their arts and culture in New York city. There is the, it's the financial capital of the world. Thank you, Alexander Hamilton. Um, (laughs) And also billion, not billions, millions of people live there. So, you know, Mm -hmm. putting the other things aside, so many cities or look at um, New Orleans, right? During Katrina, any of us that were alive during Katrina remember watching just the damage that that storm caused to people. And so seeing more of that kind of stuff happen and seeing us, you know, we can either spend billions and millions of dollars as a country to fortify and hope that we succeed in building infrastructure to prevent these things from happening, or we can direct our focus into solving the problem. I know you know which option I prefer. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And that's the thing. People don't think about these things. I mean, we thought about it during Katrina, and we still do when we think back to Katrina, because we remember how dire and devastating it turned out to be. But until that's happening on a, you know, almost a daily basis, it's out of sight, out of mind. And it's, it's unfortunate. And so I'm hoping that by writing national pieces that I'm going to get people's, you know, minds thinking about, oh, my gosh, like, this is something that is we need to be thinking about. And how can we solve for this? I don't think that the solution is going to happen overnight. But if we're not thinking about it, we're not going to find the solution. Mariana, what advice do you have to anyone listening who might want to um, give writing an op-ed a try? I say go for it. Uh, so here's a little secret, Chelsea. I don't know if you've known this. We've been working together for years at this point. But every time I write an op-ed, I actually just assume that nobody will read it except for my mom. <laughs> like, I swear. I, like, every, and whenever I get emails back, whether it's from you or Bob or Price or other people, friends, family, colleagues, that they saw my piece and they read it or they loved it. I'm always so grateful for them. One, that they took the time out to read something that I wrote. Like, that is just so, wow. Like, thank you. You could have spent five minutes doing something else, but you chose to read my piece. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, But just go for it. It doesn't matter if one person reads it or 10 people or 100 people, as long as it's out there. Because the chances is that what you're sharing is going to be impactful in its own way. 
I think that's great advice. And I am here for any listeners that want to, you know, throw an idea by me. I'm always happy to give it a read and offer my professional writer hat advice. Um, because the more people that are out there writing as Mariana, as you are, the better, right? The more that the voice you're you're elevating your own opinion, but you're also elevating other people's opinion. You're bringing issues to people's mind that they might not be thinking of. And all of this is part of the process of building support. And then that support is important to be conveyed to the policymakers. So it's all just, you know, everything's interconnected. And as you said, go for it. Like the worst that can happen is that nobody publishes it. Right. And that's the thing that I had to come to terms with. Sometimes people say no, and it's not always that your writing or your idea isn't good sometimes. And you know, because we have been strategic at times about where we submit when, if there is, you know, for example, at the time of recording, we're sort of maybe out of the debt ceiling crisis. There might be a deal um, between the sides, fingers crossed. But that is the kind of big issue that can suck up all the oxygen in the room and suck up all the words that newspapers and and um, media outlets allow for opinions. And so when there's a hot button issue kind of happening, sometimes it's hard to get focus on something that isn't an immediate threat. It's like a triage. So Yeah, and I think to that point, Chelsea, what's really important is to read the news cycle. So for example, one of the reasons why I really believe that my immigration piece did as well as it did and, and saw the light of day was because it was timely because I'm looking at Title 42 that's expiring, people clamoring about, you know, immigration needs to be solved. And so how can I pull that thread to find an angle to talk about climate crisis and climate change? I mean, regarding the debt ceiling, we can talk about how we should be funding and re like reducing our carbon footprint. And we should really try to hit these goals that the Biden administration has said that it wants, but we can't hit them unless we fund them. And so it's really reading that cycle and thinking about that in different ways. And, you know, if you don't get published on an outlet, whether it's Invading Sea, Real Clear Energy, et cetera, there's always a place on your LinkedIn to publish your story. And I publish articles constantly on LinkedIn. And I share them out with people. I started a Medium account. I share them out there. I put them on my blog, politicalhype.com. There's plenty of places that you can publish stuff, even if it's not an actual official news outlet. So don't ever let that dissuade somebody from wanting to write something, because I think that their voice, whether it's even in their own community, still is going to be impactful. I think that's really important, too, especially what you just said about LinkedIn, because I was just in a uh, strategy session with someone talking about the importance of LinkedIn. And, you know, I always sort of saw it as it's like Facebook for your resume, right? And not anymore. Today, people use it as an outlet to show that they are thought leaders in their industry. And so it is a good place where you can still have reach. So yes, people don't despair. Take this great inspiration from my friend, Mariana first podcast guest, not the last. <laughs> it's been so delightful to hear from you. And if there are listeners that wanted to um, check out your website, is that a good place for them to to try to connect with you or should they try to connect with you on LinkedIn? What, um, what are you recommending? All of the above. I, they can come to politicalhype.com to read anything, see some interviews. I've been doing a lot of book corner chats with authors and books that I'm reading. And they can connect with me on LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter at Marianne Mancuso. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for your constant um, just support and friendship and dedication to the issue of climate change. 
You're so welcome, Chelsea. Really, the pleasure is all mine. I've just been, I've had such a blast working with you guys, and I look forward to continue writing many more op-eds and holding the title of Alexander Hamilton of Republic EN. Yes, I love it. <laughs> We're going to change that on our, on our website. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Price, price, price. Did you have a good long weekend? It was awesome. Yeah, it was great. I've uh, been at the beach for a couple of days. And, you know, let me just uh, to change the subject from climate and, and environment and energy, everything that we do here. Just really quickly, is it me or is it me that I noticed this year, specifically um, over the weekend and Monday being yesterday, Memorial Day, that a lot of people were reminding people that it's not Veterans Day, that it's Memorial Day is honoring those who did not come come home versus straight up like celebrating veterans, those who serve, along with those that didn't come home. I don't know. I guess it was just me that noticed and saw a lot of verbiage on my social media platforms in different places of people trying to make that point clear. I've never yeah. seen it like that, but it just it just jumped off the page at me this year for whatever reason. So I didn't necessarily notice that, but I do always have to stop myself and think, mm -hmm. wait, is this the one for dead or alive people? Which sounds really crass to put it that yeah. way. But um, I, I think that I was talking to somebody, it came up with a friend I was um, with over the weekend who was saying, isn't it weird that people say happy Memorial weekend when yeah. like, you're really only celebrating Memorial Day if you lost somebody. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's a little like we're we use it now as like a three day weekend. And then people who have lost somebody, obviously, there might be grieving um, privately. But yeah, I, um, sh I hadn't really thought of it that way. And I was like, you're right. People are like, have a good three day weekend or happy Memorial Day. And it's like, it's not really happy. Yeah. It just jumped off the page this year, and so I was more cognizant than ever. Um, right. Let's get back to the <laughs> – we'll, we'll, we'll get back to the here and now because there is a lot happening in the now. There is a lot happening in the now. Um, obviously, the yesterday was my conversation with Mariana, yesterday being the date that we mm -hmm. recorded it. And since she and I recorded, you know, I, I just really wanted to talk to her because, one, first – ever guest on the eco right speaks Two, she has been crushing it with mm -hmm. her op-eds and so i thought it's never a bad time to pause and remind listeners that they too could write op-eds they too could be published in their hometown paper um espousing some view related to climate change or any other issue that is important to them and you know she's had a string of pieces that are also different and you know and we went over this in the in the episode but you know, being, you know, with your journalists, journalism and um, communications background, places aren't going to take your pieces repeatedly if you're just regurgitating the same message. Mm -hmm. Like she's really bringing different things to the table and highlighting different issues. And so anyway, to the point of the seaweed blob, <laughs> the sargassum belt that is like, you know, attacking Florida right now. She sent me an article from um, NBC Miami this morning mm -hmm. that researchers have found high amounts of flesh-eating bacteria in the sargassum. 
which wow. is like great. Just what Florida needs flesh eating bacteria on top of everything else. So yes, um, that was timely getting back into, you know, being timely that when I saw that story, I was like, Oh, I'm so glad I have not recorded wrap up with price yet because I yeah. have to bring this up. So listeners, if you have a beach vacation in Florida this summer, just be careful. Yeah. Yeah. That is, she is, well, Marianne is a rock star, uh, but the, there are rock stars. And then there's Marianne Mancuso's of the world yes. because she rocks it out with a volume and variety in yes. her variety of topics when it comes to climate that she hits on. I know that there's probably other people that do, that hit on a lot of topics, but I, you'd be hard pressed to find one that does it uh, as often as she does. I mean, right. She constant. I mean, you just take the month of, of May alone, you know, the swath of a swath of pieces that she has touched on. And you now then you go from, like she mentioned, you know, kind of balancing the, the local and then the, the, um, you know, the Florida centric pieces and then the national pieces. I mean, it's not just, you know, Hey, what's here in Florida here. In Florida. I mean, she's going back and forth to, you know, local and national. I mean, she, I, yeah. I'm telling you, she uh, redefines Rockstar when it comes yeah. to, you know, op-eds, obviously, with a little bit of help from our host here. <laughs> well, uh, just a little bit of help. And, yeah. um, you know, I think also while I was saying in the episode, cautioning or not cautioning, but just letting listeners who might be interested in in pursuing something like an op-ed series know, you know, you have to get the timing right, right? So like when something big is happening- yeah. It's hard to get your piece noticed if it's kind of an evergreen thing. Like people mm -hmm. often just want the whatever the hot topic is. And so, again, I was thinking about her success over the last couple of months. And it's not like we've lacked for hot topics, right? And mm -hmm. she still managed to get her stuff in, which is a testament to the quality of the writing and and the quality of the information that she's sharing. So, yes, big fans of Marina Mancuso here at republician.org. Very big, very big. Well done, Mariana, and great to have her back on. And real quick, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell everybody, remember, smash that subscribe button, whether you listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts, Smash the subscribe and have it delivered right to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts every single week. And while we're at it, we'd love for you to stand with us and join Republican.org, Republican.org forward slash join. Takes mere seconds to stand with us because there is a power in number, folks, and we need you. Yes, we do. And we have had new people because I see the number of members that we have every week when I'm putting together Week in Review, and I know the number of people that the newsletter is going to, and we've had a couple hundred people join in the last few weeks, so that's really great to see. I love it. Thank you. Invite love your you. friends. Tell your friends. More, more, more. 100%. Here are a few new members who have decided and joined to stand with us in the last week. Joy S. in Virginia, Harrison F. in Florida, Walter J. in Oregon, Diane H. in New Jersey, and then Janet H. in Texas. As we salute them, we say thank you to them for standing with us as we get ready to head into the month of June, and that means we are beginning to put the finishing touches on Season 6, Chelsea, before we launch into Season 7, 
a little bit later in the summer, but the end of season six is coming, but not without a few more episodes throughout this upcoming month of June. Yes, we have a few more episodes left, including our very fun to put together season wrap up, which will be our last episode before the 4th of July break. And then I think we'll probably be taking most of July off and getting things back going in August and, you know, spending that that time looking for new guests, who is an old guest or a repeat guest who has something new to say, that kind of thing. And as always, listeners, we are open to your suggestions. So if you know somebody who would be fantastic, please, please, please let me know. Absolutely. Drop Chelsea a line. Let her know what you like, don't like, guest ideas, topics you'd like to hear. We will work to get those worked in at the end of season six, if not as we get into season seven. But Chelsea, have a great week. Hope everybody had a great holiday, Memorial Day weekend. And a week ahead as we will come to you again next week, every Tuesday here on the Eco Right Speaks. See you in June. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco right leader.